Hello and welcome. You are listening to the teaching ministry of Coastal Oaks Church in Rockport, Texas. It is our hope that you will be encouraged and that your desire to follow Jesus Christ will be challenged and strengthened as you listen to this podcast. For more information on location, service times, and what to expect on your next visit, go to coastaloakschurch.org. Now, grab your Bible and study along with us as you listen. I invite you to open your Bibles if you have a copy of God's Word to the book of 1 Peter chapter 3. This is Peter's letter to the church, circulated in the churches of Asia Minor, written for their edification and also for ours. It's this place in the New Testament where the New Testament letters begin to give instruction to the church. Today we look at the husband's responsibility in marriage. Last week we looked at the wife's responsibility, submit to your husbands, and and we said we have some ground rules. And the ground rule was this, you don't need to be elbowing your spouse during the sermon, all right? So uh, last week, guys, we didn't want you elbowing your wife, and today, wives, we don't want you elbowing your husband, okay? I have a paperback. I had a paperback book somewhere in my library. I think Harvey took care of it. I can't find it. I was going to hold it up today, but it's a paperback book about that thick, and it's really a nice-looking book, and, and the cover, here's the title, Everything Men Know About Women, and you open it up, and it's just page after page of nothing. It's blank. <laughs> I think that might be appropriate as we think about how difficult it is as men to understand our spouses. Well, there's some clear instruction. I said last week that Peter has six verses for the woman and just one verse for the man, the husband. And and I believe that's because that's all we can handle, guys, is one verse, all right? Uh, If the shoe fits. Listen to what Peter says to husbands. This is the apostle Peter writing under the inspiration of God's Holy Spirit. Husbands, in the same way, Live with your wives in an, in an understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. I've broken this passage down and added a couple from Ephesians to kind of help us understand what, what the, the it, teachings of the word of God are for us husbands. So I'm just going to share five truths and they're very simple, simple statements. Number one, appreciate your wife. Appreciate your wife. And I'm taking that from the phrase where the word of God says this in the same way, live with your wives in an understanding way, an understanding of them. Live with that. That means to dwell with, to be at home with, to, to settle in with your wife. What, what the, the word of God is saying to us, guys, is that we're, we're to be settled in, understanding. The, the word there for understanding in, in verse 1 is to grasp the full reality and the nature of something to grasp the full reality and the nature of an object based on experience and evaluation. So when, when Peter says, live with your wives in an understanding way, dwell with them, settle in with them, be at home with them in a way where you grasp fully their nature, an understanding of who they are by experience and by evaluation. I love that phrase, live with. It just means to be at home with her. I have a chair in my study, and when, when I've, I finish my day and things have just winding down, I just go and I sit there, and that's where I'm at home. It's my man cave in the back of the house. It, this is, I, I think, the sense of what Peter's talking about, to be at home, to be settled in, to be comfortable, to be at that place where you're comfortable with your wife 
and in a sense of as best you can understand her. There's studies that have been done by sociologists who study cultures, and this is fascinating to me, but they, they say here's what happens to cultures. They, cultures get established and, and they grow, and these barbarians, and you go through the world history, barbarian tribes come in, and these tough guys come in, and they destroy the culture, but they take these, these women as their wives, and they begin to have children, and they begin to settle down. And they have a new culture, and that culture grows up, and they raise those kids, and those, those young men become young men, and then be, they become tough guys, and then they go off and they go conquer another culture. And these barbarians move in, they find a wife, they have kids, and they settle down. And I think that is the picture of what God wants us to be as men, to, to settle down with our wives. Now, we may not understand them. Should I say it another way? We don't really understand them. Again, I think that book is accurate, but we can take God's word, and as God says, I want you to understand in this sense, to understand how God has made them and who they are. We're different, guys, than ladies. Ladies, we're different. I have a book that I've been reading. It's called Men Are Like Waffles, Women Are Like Spaghetti. And isn't that a great title? Men, men have these boxes, and they compartmentalize everything, and they deal with a, one thing at a time usually. This is just generality, okay? They have their box, and women, their thoughts, their emotions are all intertangled. When you're talking to women, you have their, thought, their thoughts and they're thinking about a hundred different things. You talk to guys, use that one thing. Women, does that not irritate you about us? <laughs> guys, you need to understand the sense that they're wired that way, they're different. Women, in a sense, use their hearts and emotions. Men use their heads and logic. There's a big difference there, isn't there? Peter says, but I want you to be able to understand that God has made them that way, His God has wired them that way. Lee Oclove tells a story about a businessman who got on a, an airplane and it's kind of crowded and a man sits next to him and he kind of moves over and makes way for the man and he starts his conversation. He said, so is this a business or pleasure trip? And the guy says, oh, it's pleasure. He said, oh, really? What are you doing? He said, well, it's, I'm on my honeymoon. And the, the businessman says, well, your honeymoon? Where's your wife? He says, she's about two or three rows back. He said, oh, really? He said, I, we, you know, we got on, there wasn't a seat together, so she's back there. So the businessman kind of says, look, I'll give up my seat and you all can sit together. He says, no, it's all right. We've been on our honeymoon. I've been listening to her talk the whole time. I'm good. <laughs> he's not understanding her, but he's had enough, right? We are different. More words from the woman, less from the husband. One of the best illustrations I can give you guys of, of living with, understanding with, dwelling with your wife is this struggle that Kelly and I have had over the years. And for me to figure her out. And to come to the point where I really can't on my own, she has to tell me what she needs. I can remember at this point in our marriage where she said, Kevin, when I share this stuff with you, I don't want you to fix it. I don't want you to solve it. I just want you to what, guys? Listen. I guess I should ask ladies. Listen. So now there are times when she'll come to me with something and she'll start unloading this and I'm thinking, what's the first thing going through my mind? How can I fix this? I'm solving the problem for her, right? Logic, reason. And I can, I can navigate as she's talking, and sometimes she'll just stop and say, wait a minute, I don't want you to fix this one. I just want you to listen. That's what Peter's saying here. Guys, just, just be at home where you can just be there and listen. Then he has this, this phrase here where he says in verse, one, in verse seven there, showing her honor. Live with your wives in an understanding way of their weaker nature, showing her honor. So number two is honor your wife. Another way of saying that is cherish her. Cherish her. I read recently you can tell a lot about a man by the way he handles three things. A rainy day, 
lost luggage, and tangled up Christmas tree lights. And I would add number four, his wife. You can tell a lot about a man by the way he handles his wife, her experiences, her struggles, her difficulties. He is to give her honor. Someone said you can tell a lot about the character of a man by the countenance on his wife's face. Yeah, ooh. Guys, there's this incredible amount of responsibility that God gives us, and we'll talk about this headship and protection in a minute, but we are to honor our wife. Brag on her. Don't join in with the wife bashing that the other guys like to be a part of. Brag on your wife. Honor her. When you speak of her, do your kids understand that you honor her? Listen, one of the biggest gifts, guys, you can give your children is to show honor to your wife, their mom. There have been a few times in the life of our children where I've had to get on my kids because I sensed they weren't honoring their mother. I tell them, you've got to honor her. Guys, that's our responsibility, to cherish her. And let's move on to the next one, number three, protect your wife. Protect her. And that's that phrase there in verse seven again. You live with them an understanding of their weaker nature. I believe a better translation is weaker vessel. From the, that word vessel is the same word that's, that's used in 2 Corinthians 4, where it says that we have this treasure of the gospel in clay vessels or clay jars. So much discussion about what, what it means that the wife is, is weaker. It doesn't mean intellectually. It doesn't mean spiritually. I believe it's just simply it, mean, it doesn't even mean emotionally. By very simply believe it means physically, in a general sense, women are weaker physically than men. You look at it in the Olympics. You don't have many sports where women are against men. You, you, there, there are a few sports where they're mixed. There are a few, there are a few sports where they, uh, rifles and archery and those kinds of things where they compete together. I think even there are some bobsled teams that are mixed. But usually you have men against women because we're different. You have an NBA and a WNBA, right? You have women's soccer and you have men's soccer because, because we're different. And that's just in a general sense. There are some ladies in this congregation who are stronger than me. I've just I've seen their pictures, I've seen their posts on Instagram, okay? I know some ladies, I'm not telling you, I'm not telling you you're weaker than I am. I'm, the, 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 I'm telling you you're stronger, but in a general sense, okay, women are weaker vessels than men. The best illustration I can find is the illustration of denim and silk. I use this in, in just about every wedding that I perform. I say men are denim, women are silk. Denim, strong, rugged, durable. Silk, Fragile, dainty, precious. Which is, which is more expensive? Probably the silk, right? Right? We're different. Which one is better? Well, it depends on what you want. Do you want something delicate and soft and refined and something that will, that will really show worth? Then you want the silk. You want something that's going to protect? You want to wear denim. So we're different, guys. Men are denim. Women are like silk. Neither one is better than the other, but they're different. Tell you what, when the storm comes, I'm not going to grab my silk sweater. I don't have one, but if I did. I'm going to grab my denim jacket. I'm going to wear denim because it protects, and that's, that's what we're to do, protecting our wives. Think about a doctor and his, his, a, a surgeon with all his delicate instruments, and, and as they perform surgeries now, and the delicate instruments that they have for all the intricate things that they're able to do, and then you have these other instruments that are very strong and, and used for doing very serious things like amputation and stuff like that. Which is better? Well, it depends on what you need. Some are delicate, 
It needs to be done with the delicate things. Others are stronger needs for those things. That's the differences that we have. And God calls us as men to protect our wives. In Ephesians chapter 5, verse 23, the Bible says, For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, the Savior of the body. That word head means protector. Protector. The head of every man in 1 Corinthians 11, 3 says, the head of every, um, Christ is the head of every man, and the man is the head of every woman, of, of the woman. We are to be the head of the home. I like what one scholar said. He said, this is simply an organizational statement. The husband is the head of the home. It doesn't mean, we talked about this last week, it doesn't mean the husband is any better, the wife is any less. It just means this is the order that God has designed in the home. Leadership in marriage is based on divine placement, not superior or inferior abilities. God just decided it would be that way. Guys, protect your wives. Do whatever it takes. Let them feel secure and safe. When we go home, again, Kelly had to tell me this. She had to tell me this. I want you to walk in the house first because I want you to be the first one to go in to make sure it's okay. So I, I got that. She had to tell me that. I didn't get it on my own. She had to help me understand that. And now when we go home, I go in the door first because I know that I want to be a protector. If anything's wrong, I'll be able to pick up on it and protect her. Let me say something about this protection of the wife. We had a, have had this discussion recently and the, the, the topic came up in the original sin in the Garden of Eden in Genesis chapter 3. And everybody says Eve took the fruit of the, of the knowledge of good and evil. She, the, Satan tempted her with that. And that's exactly what happened. But the Bible says this in Genesis 3, 6. Then the woman saw that the tree was good for food and delightful to look at, that it was desirable for attaining wisdom. So she took some of its fruit and she ate. And she gave some to her husband who was with her and he ate. Where's the blame lay in that? The Bible says Adam was with her. He was at her side. He was alongside her. And he stood by and he watched the serpent tempt Eve. And he watched her and allowed her to take of the fruit. And then he participated in it. And I believe a great deal of that is because Adam was not the protector. Someone said it this way. At the crucial point, Adam flinched and went missing in action. He abdicated his responsibility as a protector, as the head of the home. Eve took the bait, but Adam was passive. Guys, we cannot be passive, especially in today's culture. We have to be there. We have to be protecting. We have to be guarding. And one of the, one of the uh, reasons why I say Adam holds accountability there is because if you follow the passage and you know that Adam and Eve, after they, they both sinned and they fell, God goes looking for them. And what does he say? He says to Adam, where are you? He goes looking for Adam because Adam's the head of the home. He's the one who is accountable. Owen Strachan and Gavin Peacock have written a great deal about this, and this is what they say. Abdication of masculine leadership is at the fall of mankind. The first Adam failed to protect his wife. Then he failed to own his own sin and repent. Do you remember when God said in Genesis 3, where are you? And Adam finally fesses up, and here I am, and, and what happened? And what does Adam say? It's the woman you gave me. It's her fault. He doesn't even fess up. In, in essence, he blames God. God, you gave me that woman. Guys, we need to fess up. We need to take accountability. We need to protect. The fourth truth for us, guys, love your wife sacrificially. Love your wife sacrificially. We're still in verse 7. 
Husbands, in the same way, live with your wives in understanding of their weaker nature, yet showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life so that your prayers will not be hindered. That, that, so that your prayers will not be hindered. It's, it, it's a, spiritually, uh, a statement of the spiritual growth of the man to sacrificially give your life for her. He says, so your prayers will not be hindered. Max Anders says this, a husband who treats his wife in the wrong manner will himself be unfit and unable to pray, not to mention that he will likely uh, have little inclination to pray. To put it another way, a husband's spiritual health depends in a significant measure on the way he treats his wife. I would say amen to that. My spiritual growth is gonna be measured to the extent that I treat my wife Kelly. Let that one sink in, guys. I'm the spiritual head of the home, okay? How do you treat your wife? This doesn't just mean you're the one that, that leads in going to church or leads in having devotion. It means you're the one who protects and loves sacrificially. In Ephesians chapter five, verse 22, where Paul says, wives submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church. He is a savior of the body. Look at this picture now, verse 24. Now as the church submits to Christ, so wives are to submit to their husbands in everything. Verse 25, husbands. Again, one important verse for us, guys. Love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself for her. How did Christ love the church, the people of God? He literally laid down his life sacrificially, seeking God's best for his people, the church, the bride of Christ. An act of his will, a decision that he made. Guys, we are to love our wives like Jesus loved the church. To love our wives in a sacrificial way as Jesus loved the church. It's not based on her performance. It's based on my, as a husband, being willing to be obedient to the command of Christ to love my wife as Christ loved the church. When Peter talks about this living with her, and Paul talks about giving my life for her, that's this picture of sacrificial love to be expressed in action, not just words. Words are important. Went to a marriage Bible study one time and the whole, after several weeks, they said, now there's two phrases that you guys need to remember, couples. You need to remember these two phrases. I'm sorry, I love you. That made sense to me. So the week or so went by and Kelly did something that irritated me and I said, I'm sorry, I love you. That's not the way to use that phrase, okay? <laughs> it was a joke, sort of. Words are important, but they have to be backed up with your actions, sacrificing for, you, for your wife. Someone said it this way, the way I treat my wife says more about how I feel about Jesus than how I feel about her. Guys, we are to sacrificially love our wives, and this... Probably every man in this room would say, I'd lay down my life for her. But would you be willing to live your life on a daily basis, sacrificing your will, your desires, your intentions, your plans, so that your wife can be cherished, honored, loved, and protected? That's where the rubber meets the road. Number five, lead your wife with humility. Lead her with humility. When he says, showing them honor as co-heirs of the grace of life. 
Again, co-heirs that we talked about this last week, different but equal. We are together experiencing the grace of God in our lives to be humbled by that. A husband is never called to force his wife to follow his leadership. But the Bible challenges us to earn her response by the way we are a man of integrity with compassion for our wives. Boy, Christ gave us the example of servanthood, didn't he? When he got his disciples together, he's about to give his life for them, but he washes their feet and shows that he can take that place of humility and he says to his disciples, you do this for one another as I've done it to you, you do it for one another. Guys, we're to follow that example. The Bible says in in Mark chapter 10, where Jesus said of himself, the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. You are the husband in the relationship, and you are called to give your life, moment by moment on a daily basis, in humility. I grew up in a Christian home. We went to church as a kid. I've shared this testimony with you all. I can still remember the the vanilla wafers and the little orange Kool-Aid or whatever it was, that juice we drank. I go into some old church buildings now and it just takes me back to when I was a little kid. I was raised in the church. And my dad worked a lot. And he got to where he started working on Sundays a lot. And so my mom became the one who would, would take the kids, get the kids together and take us to church. And my dad sometimes would slip in at the very end of the worship service and sit down in church. And that was him fulfilling his obligation to be in church. And he did that. That was, that was kind of our routine. And after my sister and I got old enough to really fight my mom, you know how it is when, you, when you're at that age and you just make it, you can put so much grief on your mom that she just gives up. My mom just gave up. She said, I'm done. I'm done fighting with you kids, taking you to church. I'm done. I don't, I don't know that she said this. I never heard this, but she may have said, I'm done trying to get my husband to go to church. And she just gave up. So we just, we just backed out. I thought it was pretty cool. I didn't have to go to church anymore. My dad's secretary belonged to another church in town, and she become, became burdened for my dad and his partner. They were chiropractors. She started praying for them and started inviting them to come to her church and hear her pastor teach the Bible. And I don't know how long she prayed for my dad. She worked there for years. She must have been praying for him and inviting him. He finally responded and said, okay, I'll go to your church and hear your pastor teach the Bible. So my dad went to her church by himself, and God got a hold of my dad. And my dad came home, and I started watching him live out this passage of Scripture, honoring my mom, cherishing my mom, sacrificially loving my mom, and becoming the spiritual leader of the home, praying with her, reading Scripture with her, and taking her to church with him. See the difference? The head of the home took responsibility and began to to take his wife with him to church. And I'm this teenager by this time, living my own life of rebellion, enjoying doing my own thing, and I'm watching this change in my dad, and I'm watching this sudden change in my mom. And and I can even remember they finally, they would invite me to come after church and go to lunch with them. So they, they were very tricky. They wouldn't make, they, they knew I was going to sleep in on Sunday morning, but they'd say, hey, they'd call me and say, Kevin, we're going to meet at the restaurant and we'll buy your lunch. So I started getting up in time to go at 12, whatever, to eat lunch with them and their church friends. And pretty soon I discovered their church friends were normal people. 
And then they encouraged me to come, and so I went to church with them. And, and I remember one Sunday morning sermon, I think I shared this recently, as the pastor's standing at the door shaking hands, and my mom's right in front of me. And I'm, this is, this is, I hadn't been in church in years, and my mom walks up to the pastor and says, I didn't like that sermon one bit. And I'm like, man, okay. My dad's standing right next to her. And I can't remember the pastor's response, but before he could say anything, she said, but I sure needed it. Thank you. She didn't like what she heard because it was convicting. And so I watched my mom then begin to be this submissive, loving, supportive wife. And this marriage began to hum. And I said, I want what they've got. It wasn't them coaxing me, forcing me, challenging me, making me come to church. It was my dad being the spiritual head of the home, sacrificially loving his wife, and seeing what joy that brought to a marriage and joy that it brought in their life. And I, and I began to hunger for that change of life in my life. Now, what had happened to them was they were believers and they just renewed their faith. They, they, they repented of sin in their life and, and took up their right role and responsibility in the marriage. Well, what happened to me was I needed Jesus. I hadn't been saved. So my testimony is when a man will live out 1 Peter chapter 7 and Ephesians chapter 5, Verse 25, to love your wives as Christ loved the church. God will get in there and do a work in your family and your home. Guys, it's a responsibility God has given us. Don't wait for her. You be the leader. You be the head. Protect her. Lead her. Honor her. Love her. Cherish her. Appreciate her. There was a CBS News story back in 2010 about a couple, a family who was on their way home one night and a, a Chevy Blazer veered over into their lane. It was going to be a head-on collision. And the husband, his name was Brian, as a last uh, reflex action, turned the car, slammed on the brakes and turned the car so that that, that, um, that Blazer hit his side of the car and killed him instantly and protected his wife and their child. And she was interviewed on, I think, the Today Show, and she said, she said I, I really feel that if we'd have had that head-on collision, we wouldn't be here today. The whole family would have died. But my husband, Brian, turned the car so that he would take the brunt of that collision so that we could be here and be alive today. Now, that that's the picture. That's the picture. Guys, what are we going to do about this? Is it Genesis 3-9 all over again? Where God says, Adam, where are you? Guys, where are you? Where are you right now? Where are you in your walk with the Lord? Do you know him as your savior? You can't lead your family if you don't know Christ yourself. Where are you in your relationship if you don't do know him as savior? Are you growing? Are you loving your wife? Are you waiting for her to take the lead? Where are you? My prayer is that if you don't know Christ as savior, today would be the day that you'd start fresh, new, by faith, realizing that you've sinned. The Bible says in Romans 3, all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Nobody can measure up. Nobody can measure up. We've all fallen short. But the gift of God is eternal life through Christ. Romans 5, God demonstrated his love in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Would you believe that and receive that by faith? Would you be willing to turn your life over to Jesus Christ and say, from this moment on, I want to live a life of obedience to Christ, be forgiven of my sin, 
and be a godly man. That's, that's the appeal today. Let's bow together.